Hello everybody, this is Ben aka Wonderboy coming at you. This episode of the podcast, I believe it's episode 136, it's a little different. This is going to be the audio of a seminar we actually did a couple weeks ago at the 2021 Deer Fest in West Bend, Wisconsin. This seminar was a shed dog training seminar. Um, a little different format than what you're used to, but a lot of really good valuable stuff and information in it, and we hope you enjoy it. We're going to talk about shed stuff. And this weekend, first off, thank you for coming. Um, Deerfest is one of our, probably one of our favorite shows. We've been doing it, I don't know how many years this is Deerfest. How many, is anybody? Ten maybe? Uh, with the exception of last year obviously not doing it, we've only missed one. And I'm really regretting that one because someday I'm going to want to say it was at every one. But we did a seminar for every seminar, or for every show except that one that we missed, and then obviously last year, and I, it's not far for us. You know, we, we are, this, my name is Jeremy Moore, this is my wife Steph, our daughter Lillian, in our booth right now, uh, the little redhead, if you've been past that booth, she's not so little anymore, but I remember when she used to come to Deerfest and she was not a lot, about that age. So, um, she's 12, and she, she helps, her name's Sierra, she helps her house out a lot. This is actually Sierra's dog, Spry. Um, and then I've got a, a son that, he's 19 now, so he was really little when he first started coming to Deerfest as well. Um, he's not with us this, this weekend, but he actually has a puppy of Spry's. So I'll introduce the dogs right away too, because um, they are, I would say, the most important part of this seminar. This is Spry, Spry is five, she had a litter, of, she whelped a litter of puppies this spring. And we have one of those puppies now, I'm training him. His name is Chief. Um, he belongs to, he's 12 weeks old. Belongs to our son, um, who is a sophomore at UW-Eau Claire. So he's actually gonna take his dog to school with him. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. Uh, I, I got my first dog when I was a sophomore in college as well. So I continue to remind myself of that. But, so, her mom is right here. This is Taylor. And Taylor has been coming to, I think Taylor's been at every, every Deer Fest. Um, well, maybe not. Probably not, I guess. She's eight. So she hasn't been at every one. This is Ellie. Ellie is six. So just turned six. No, she's turning six in September. Um, so these are, these are three of our personal dogs. And normally I come to a, the show with a puppy. Um, a lot of times we're training a dog. I do train dogs for clients, um, a very limited number each year. And normally we have a puppy or two with us. And this is, you know, we don't have chief with, but otherwise we would have. So this will be the first time I do a, a seminar with just the old dogs, but it's, I'm actually very relaxed about it because I go, these dogs have seen it all. They've done a lot of seminars before. They've hunted, I've hunted them for quite a, quite a few years. Um, you can see sp what Spry just did is what I ask dogs to do. Get comfortable and just lay down because we might be here a while. That's, that's what we do when we hunt. I don't, you, you'll, you'll find out very quickly and we'll talk about it. Um, I really look at my dogs as, as hunting dogs. They're 100% they're they're hunting dogs, but they're family dogs first. And so I don't know anybody that hunts 
enough to be able to say, I need to be 100% focused on hunting and forget about the family dog part. I don't know very many people these days that don't have dogs that live in the house. I don't think it's a problem if they don't live in the house. All of our dogs live in the house. I think it helps with connection. I think it helps with developing trust and, and bond. And I just, I just think it's a real, a lot of upside to it. But I also think that they can't be coddled. Like I think today especially, after this last year, we've really, there's a lot of puppies out there right now that are, weren't probably gonna be owned by people until the circumstances came into play and everybody wanted to have a dog and that's great. I think it's awesome. But I also think working from home for a lot of people has created dogs that are really, really dependent on their handlers. And so I, we hear a lot about uh, I get I got a message today about can you do a specific video so we do a lot of videos on YouTube Ben is filming a lot of stuff he's been with us now for four years I think and Ben has been a great asset he's added to our ability to be able to build our YouTube channel and be able to put a lot of information out there our social media stuff we try to share a lot of stuff this will all get ended up we have actually a playlist I think on YouTube that's seminars and so you can watch back you'll see a lot of changes over the years because uh, this is the first time I've shaved my beard in probably close to 10 years and so like I look a lot different but uh, I had to do something to look younger but um, so we have started we have a playlist called seminars and you'll see I would say no two seminars are the same for lots of reasons. One of the things that I always like to put out there is a disclaimer of, you know, I don't do demonstrations. Like I don't, I don't know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with them, but I'm not a real big fan of demoing with dogs because who here has a dog right now? Raise your hand if you've got a dog. So you guys don't have a dog? Just Pat, I'm sorry about that. Sorry. Uh, so we, with, the reason you're here is to probably see with the with questions of you know, how do I get some of this out of my dog I had people today ask me questions of uh, I've got an eight-year-old dog how can I still train it I've had people that came today and said I've got a seven-week-old puppy where do I start and then I've had questions of everything in between and we have only been here a few hours so like we get a lot of questions and we get a lot of questions through different social media platforms and we try, to re, re, we try to share those questions and answers as much as we can because if one person has the question, I know other people do too. So I just think there's a lot of value in that. And so what we're gonna do today is the demo part won't happen. I mean, it probably will because they are a little bit older dogs, but I don't know that I come into it with that in mind because demonstrations look really good. And I can make, I can make these dogs look, I, Hell, I'll be honest with you, I think they look pretty good right now. Like, this is really what I like. This, if I were, and I did used to go to a lot of seminars, I used to listen to, and I still do, uh, I listen to podcasts from dog trainers. Uh, not necessarily to follow step by step, because some trainers that I listen to, I really don't do things very similar but I'll still pick up a thing or two from them. I'll still get an idea or two from them. So I, don't, I think that it's real important to try to pay attention as much of it as you can and apply what works. But if I were watching a seminar or a demonstration or whatever you wanna call them, and I walked in and I saw these three dogs doing what these three dogs are doing, I'd be watching that one because that's what I like my dogs to do. Now, if you had a dog right now that was just 
wired so tight it just couldn't it couldn't focus. Oh my god! You know, I'll I'll get a dog to wake up here once in a while. Okay, I pick up a dummy and look what just happened to that dog. <laughs> so you can see <laughs> this one picks her head up finally and goes, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. This one, it's hard to get her to open her eyes at times. Now she's the oldest dog, and she's got, she's got a lot of, she's got a lot of, she's just seen it all before. It takes a lot to get her kind of ruffled. But what I will do is now watch this. All of a sudden, everybody did wake up. And usually I do this now, it's supper time. They haven't eaten yet. Normally they eat a little bit earlier than this, but they haven't yet. So I'm gonna show you, because I usually demo this with a puppy. And so we're doing it with Chief. We started doing it with Chief real recently. Um, he's 12 weeks old, he's a little bit bigger dog. So I can't quite hold on to him. Now, I should back up. We're gonna talk about shed stuff today. And I think the name of, Hugh sent me a message of, hey, what do you want to title the seminar? And I said, well, let's call it uh, something about shed training for all breeds because I really, I've gotten this question several times in the booth today of, well, what breed, you know, these are, these are Labrador Retrievers. Do you have to have that in order to shed hunt with them? Do I have to have a certain type of dog to track with? Do I have to have, and my answer is real simple, absolutely not. I do not think it's breed specific. I think what is necessary regardless of breed is a real good foundation. And if you have that, I think you can do anything you want with them. And so one thing this, is, this will relate to everybody. Who in here, what kind of dogs do you have? Uh, got a Bavarian, you're a tracking guy. So he's got, did you import your dog or did you get it here in the States? Uh, in the States. Okay, you guys have a lab and yours is? 15 weeks, so really, really, this is what I'd be doing. I mean, we talked about this, I think, a little bit. What do you guys have? I have a lab. Okay, why do you laugh at that? I got a border collie and a doodle. A border collie and a doodle, what kind of doodle? Doodle, he's a little guy. Oh, a border collie doodle? No, I got a border collie and a doodle. Oh. a mixed breed little guy. Okay, okay. Sometimes I got, you got to slow down for me. It's late and it's, you know, I'm only a few Budweiser's in. Do you have a dog? What do you have? Silver Lab? And you guys lost, you had a Black Lab? You guys have a dog? Chocolate, two years. You guys have a dog? Beagles. Beagles. Rabbit hunt with them? What's that? Do you hunt rabbits with them? That's a lot, that's a lot of fun. Well, you know what? So, so this is a great, this is a great example. The shed, we'll talk shed training, we're going to talk retrievers, but I also think that everything I talk about, especially this, can transfer very quickly to the beagle. And I'll be honest with you, this is, I'm a, this is not going to have the effect that it would if I had the 12-week-old puppy with me right now because everyone is amazed at what this 12-week-old puppy can do. But it doesn't take long to get to this point. And these guys, I have not done this drill we don't, I don't, I mean, it's a drill, I guess, for a young dog, but with these guys, now you can see, look at the attention she's given me since I sh filled that bowl of food. She's really hungry right now. It's past her, it's past lunch. What do you guys have for a dog? Bloodhound. Bloodhound, and you, and you bought tracking stuff for your tracking. So, this idea right here, with a 12-week-old puppy that I have named Chief, he's too big to hold. I mean, I can get a good arm workout. I can't hold on to him that long. But he's getting actually very good at this where I could probably do it. But 
my incremental process is always build off of the last step with everything I do with dog training. So I'm going to do something and then I'm going to try to build off of it, build off of it, and build off of it. It's just that's the whole journey from start to finish with the dog is building off of lessons prior. So when I, when the puppies came home, when your 15 week old puppy came home, when our dogs went home and then we had Chief, we fed the dog with regularity. We fed the dogs three times a day. And the sound makes the exact same sound at the kennel as it did just now when I scooped a bowl of food. And to be honest, those three times of the day, you guys can come on in and sit if you want. Uh, the, those three times of the day were the best times of the day for those puppies. Like it was the highlight of the day. Now, it also meant survival for some of them too because if you've got a big litter of puppies, you get that bowl of food ready and they set it down, you might have eight or nine competitors going after that food. So it's a real, it's a real busy time of the dog's life there. What that creates from day one is a behavior and it becomes a little bit of panic. So those puppies gotta get into that food, they gotta get going, they gotta, they gotta be real energetic. I like dogs that do this. Like, I like dogs that are quiet, calm, and steady. And that's whether I'm hunting in the field with them, or I'm doing a seminar at Deerfest, or I'm at the kids' soccer game, or we're camping, or whatever we're doing. So we start taking habits, and I think it's really important to understand that dog training is nothing more than forming habits. And habits are formed by repetition and consistency. If you do something over and over and over again, it will become a habit. What you have to be careful with with these young dogs is, <laughs> and these young kids, like dog training is no different than raising kids. Like we'll, we'll have a lot of analogies here today. So, but the idea of that habit forming that you have to be careful of is the bad habits will form just as quickly or quicker than the good ones. So what I change that day that those puppies come back to me or I separate them from their litter mates is I go, instead of those three times of the day, now that's pretty consistent. Now I cut it back to two times usually. I only feed my dogs in the morning and in the evening, but two or three times, whatever you're doing, you do it consistently. And what happens is, is you get opportunities for good repetition. And so instead of that being a free for all of wrestling with other puppies for food, I turn that into instantly earn your food. It does a couple things for me. It changes their behavior from panic and freak out to rest and relax, because they don't get to eat until they calm down. So I do that from the start, and then I transfer it. So I'm gonna, we're gonna do this. Come here. So guess who eats last tonight? Two dogs, now I set it up pretty easy for them. <laughs> They're on places. Like for those two dogs to get off, first off, those two are the older ones. Secondly, those two are probably the least excited about food as far as Spry. Spry's a real big fan of food. Me and her got a lot in, a lot in common. Uh, she, she's real sweet. Great, she was a great mom. This was her first litter. She did a fantastic job. But she'll get a little bit intense at times. So for this, she'll eat last. So I, I don't know, does anybody in here have multiple dogs at home? So here's another beautiful thing. Create hierarchy in your pack at feeding time. It's really simple and it doesn't take any extra time because you gotta feed the dog no matter what. And you gotta feed the dog no matter what, twice a day. So if I turn that into a lesson, a training lesson, I just got real beneficial stuff and it didn't take me any extra time. I, I make 
I talk a lot about, when it comes to training dogs, I talk a lot about the idea of, I don't set much time aside for it. People, you know how many people have asked me the question today, wow, you got a lot of time into those dogs. I said, yeah, kind of, they've lived with us a long time. You know, I don't, I honestly can say, I don't know that I have, no, 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 no. Go by mom, go by mom. I honestly don't think I put in a ton of time specifically training. Instead, what I try to do is build training into everything I'm doing. Get value out of feeding time. Won't take you any longer. Now, Ellie, Ellie, come here. Right here. Whoa! She thought she was, now, like I said, we have not done this drill in a long time. Can, I, can we send her on her food? So, I get the puppy. Now, imagine she's a puppy. So when I first hold on to her, she's wiggly and squiggly. She's just all excited. Oh my God, it's time to eat, it's time to eat, it's time to eat. She's freaking out. And so I take that food and I set it down in front and I just hold on to her. I don't say anything to her, I just hang on to it. And then as soon as that dog pauses, stops doing whatever it was doing for freaking out, I set it down and I let her eat. And quickly she learns what happens, so timing is very important in our training. What happens right before the thing is what they remember. So what happened before she got to eat? She had to stop. She, had to, she might have wore herself out. She might have been tired. But she took a break. And as soon as she took a break, she got to eat. And I do that in the morning, and then I do that in the night. And then I do it in the morning, and then I do it in the night. And, then I, and after three or four days, the dog is so, these little dogs are very smart. You pick it up and the dog just goes, just lays in your arms because she knows what's next. He'll set me down and eat. So now I'll go, oh, very good, nice for you. Now we'll add on another layer. So now I take the puppy and I set the puppy on the ground and the puppy hits the feet and it just starts to run in air because it knows what's happening. He's setting me down, I'm gonna go eat. And then I say, no, 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 no. And I pick her back up. We start over again and she goes like this and I touch her feet to the ground and she's scant, no, pick it up. Touch the feet, no, no. And then all of a sudden I touch the feet to the ground and she goes, I'm not moving. And what do I do? Go ahead and eat. And so you do that for a couple days and she quickly goes, all I gotta do is stand there like a statue. Pretty quick you can add in, put your butt on the ground. Like right now, I skipped that step with Chief. Chief didn't need to do that part. Chief is a really nice little soft dog and for him, he loves to sit. So he comes up to me, he sits naturally. I look like a wizard. <laughs> I mean, come here and sit. No, he just sits on his own. But sometimes he sits without me asking him, and that's okay too. But now he comes and he just sits. And so now I've gotten to the point where I put my arm around him. And I got the food. And now I take my hand and I line out. And I used to release Chief. And now I'm going to start taking my hand and bringing it around. And as soon as I bring it around, he's going to go, well, it's time for me to go. And so I'll just put my arm back around. So. Ellie. So I say her name, Ellie. And she says, that's it? Great, go and eat. Spry says, damn it? <laughs> really? And I say, yeah. Because you know what happened when I first took out that food and I put it out there? What did she do? She got all antsy. So she's going to go, I better just relax. And she's going, oh, now watch this dog's body language. This is cruel. <laughs> this is really mean of me. Come here. But I, she's a nice dog. She won't hold it against me. So now watch when I line. Real intense. 
I mean, she's, she's flexing every muscle right now. Yeah. Sit. Sit. Taylor. Now, here we got Pokey. <laughs> she's really very methodical and slow with everything she does. Taylor. So she goes over and takes her time and she's going to have hers. Now, you see the pace. Watch how she eats her food. You saw how she ate her food. I like dogs. Sit. Just so excited. So, you know what it takes to train dogs? It's the most underrated skill a dog handler will ever ha has. Ellie, come here. It takes a lot of patience. So it's hard to do a seminar and show and demonstrate. Get up. And demonstrate that patience. You guys are stuck with me, and I, I do it, and I make it as a, I make a point of doing it. Now, read her body language. Like, she's probably more focused right now than she was with the food. The retrieve, I think, may, might mean more to her than than. The food, maybe not though. She is a big eater. <laughs> like I'm going to show you. So the patience part. So I'll come over and I'll pick that antler up. I'll swap it out. Now, was that thunder that we just heard? Because she hates it. She's probably she's a great gun dog. I, if I had a shotgun out right now and we shot a bird, you would never see a happier dog. She hates thunder. So I don't, you know, I do hear people say something. I, I've seen the thing where, Taylor, come here. I've seen the thing where, you know, fireworks and stuff and, nah, nah, come on. <laughs> Go lay down. There's a reason she's the size she is. <laughs> you know, it, and she's just a mama. Get your grandma, actually, place. Go lay down. Place, Taylor. Place. So this, this thunder alone could really throw her off. But now watch the difference in how she eats because we're going to talk about patience with eating. She kind of took her time. I thought she ate rather politely. Ellie, I thought, did the same. Spry. I mean, she burns rubber. <laughs> she can't get there fast enough, and she'll inhale it. Watch how she eats this. Now, watch as I get closer. She goes, oh, God, I've really got to eat it fast. Oh. Sit. So I can read I can reset this drill up multiple times if I want to. Spray. A lot of enthusiasm out of her. Now she's not the most patient dog, and I think it goes right down to her eating food. She eats it way faster than every other dog. She's got to do everything fast, everything fast, everything fast. That's a personality thing. And with her, what it does for me is it reminds me of everything I do with this dog, I'll have to slow down. It's the opposite of their pace. So I'm all about balance. Look how quick she finished her food. So, come here. No, she goes, is there more left? Come here. Sit. So, fundamental stuff like this Building in little training things like this is how we start to develop this foundation. Without the foundation, I can't shed hunt with them. I don't care if you have the best shed dog in the world. I don't care if you have the best tracking dog in the world. I don't care. Best hunting dog in the world means nothing to me if I can't do stuff like this. 
because we talked about it before, we don't, we don't get to hunt every day, all day. And so, but the beauty of the foundation is, not only is it nice for when we're not hunting, it's necessary in order to do some hunting stuff. So this, this is a training dummy. So how do I get started with shed training stuff is, you know, with these guys and with Chief in particular right now, I talked to someone today about, they had a, I think they had a little Vizsla and they were struggling to get their dog to pick the dummy up. I think it was about five months old. They were struggling to get the dummy picked up. And he asked me about it and I said, five months old, I don't use the dummy yet. Like, I don't want anything to be negative about the idea of an antler. That's why we use this. A real hard horn, I, the reason this came about was years ago, I threw an antler for, a, it was the first shed dog that I was training from a puppy on. I had an older dog that I cross trained to shed hunt and had a lot of success with. She was eight years old at the time. She was a gun dog, bird dog, and I ended up picking sheds with her and she did really well. I bought a puppy to shed hunt with and I thought, well, I'm gonna throw an antler for it. So she was about six months old. Now, six months old's down the road for a lot of people in training. I, you know, I'm a, I do everything very slow. I just don't rush stuff with dogs, even way back then. And about six months old, I threw an antler for the first time for her. Now, she had retrieved before. She retrieved, I start with a balled up sock in the hallway. And then I go to puppy bumpers and I use different, different things to incrementally get these dogs picking stuff up. And so, you know, these nice little dummies. So, I threw a hard horn for that dog and she ran out to it with about Spry's enthusiasm. I'll show you Spry's enthusiasm. And I remember exactly where it was. It was on this, it was on a road that was all iced over. It was slippery like this. Um, I threw the, it was a property that I had and it was selling and I was walking the dog, we were shed hunting on it. And I brought this little pup with. And I threw an antler that we had found on the, dry, on the road and I sent the puppy on it and she ran after it really excited. Spry. And she got on that antler, and about the time she hit it, like she just did, she went, and she came running back here. She came running back to me with her tail tucked. The antler was right there. And I said, what just happened here? And so I went down and I picked the antler up. Come here. Oh, look, at who you got a double trouble. Come here. Sit. Spry. Go back. Ah, go back. Really struggling on the ice here. Hold, sit. So that puppy ran up to that antler and she poked herself. And at that point, she looked at an antler and went the other way. Like I pick an antler up, she'd run. She was, she was like her when the thunder went off just now. Like she was just, she thought the thing bitter, I think. Like she wanted nothing to do with it. Now, keep in mind, I had bought that dog to shed hunt with. That was the first time I had ever bought a puppy with to just shed hunt with. And I thought, I'm six months into this dog and she's afraid of an antler. And I thought, wow. So then I started thinking about it and I thought, when I trained gun dogs and bird dogs, which is, did a lot of those, the last thing, I, I don't start, my six month old puppy, I'm not putting it on a live rooster. Like, it's going to be a while before that dog ever picks up a bird alive, much less dead. So I take steps to get gun dogs to birds. I start with a balled up sock in the hallway, I go to puppy bumpers, I tape some wings to it, 
I add scent to it, I use cold game, I use fresh killed pigeons, I use a lot of steps before the dog ever picks up a live bird. And we find success that way and I thought, well why am I not kind of doing that with this dog on an antler? And so that's, when this, that's where this came from. So then we went through this, like I, most people don't even realize, like we're a really small company. Ben, ben is a part, Ben has been working with us for four years now. Um, just came on full time, but we've got, we've slowly built a team that I think, I'm really proud of. I think we've got a great team of people that I work with. And, but we're a really small company. We're from Pulaski. We're not that far from here. We've also got a brand called Hodeg. So our booth is, that's the, we're the same company. We just have two different brands in the outdoors. I patented both of them the same year. <laughs> Legalzoom.com. <laughs> That's how I did it. I was working construction at the time and I did it at night. But I patented the idea of using an antler-shaped dummy out of a material that won't hurt the dog, won't, won't turn the dog off. And so I started looking at it and going, why don't I replicate a similar way and a similar process to how I do my bird, my bird dogs and my gun dogs? So the idea of the shape is really just to get them to understand that there's something out there that looks like this that equals a retrieve. Because dogs don't shed hunt because they love sheds. Dogs don't bird hunt because they love birds. Duck dogs do not pick up ducks because they love ducks. And I've had guys argue with me about that. No, my dog is a gun dog. He's been bred forever to be a gun dog. He's a champion, titled, blah, 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 blah. And I said, really? I said, will your dog pick up a stick? Yeah, I said, well, if you throw it in really bad conditions, it's really icy, it's really cold, it's really miserable weather, and you throw a stick in the marsh, will he go get it? Absolutely, he's a great retriever. I said, really, is he bred to be a stick dog? Because that, that stick has the same value as the duck, and the, it's not the duck, because he'll retrieve the stick. What is the common denominator? The retrieve. What do we teach them to retrieve depends on what our preference is. So with a shed dog, it's not the antler they get excited about. It's the idea that I get to pick that up and bring it back to him. And he'll praise me for it. He really gets excited. I really treat a dog well when they bring me something. So my, the little puppy chief right now, if we, my little one, you just saw, I think we're on bathroom break. We're crate training that one right now. So I think she's on bathroom break. But she has a, she has a real bad habit of leaving stuffed toys around our house. Well, Chief isn't allowed to let him free run the house. But occasionally, I bring him in from going to the bathroom or doing whatever, and he decides he wants to run around the house a little bit, and so I gotta kinda corral him back up. And he'll pick up her, she, one of her favorite is Dumbo. She's got a Dumbo thing that Steph got in Florida. Really loves Dumbo, well Lillian doesn't like Chief carrying Dumbo around. So, Dumbo gets carried around and what does Lillian want to do? Go chase Chief and get Dumbo. What does Chief think that, is, that means? Fun, pick something up, they'll chase me, this is great, keep away. Dogs that run off with stuff, most oftentimes are created by us and we don't even realize it because we're not thinking about training that duck dog, shed dog, gun dog at that point, we're thinking about saving Dumbo. When my wife's shoes get picked up, and they're expensive shoes that I don't even want to know about, when she picks those up and Steph's upset about it because the damn dog's got my shoes, I look at it as an opportunity to make a retrieve. So I treat it way differently. I go, oh, come on, good boy, good boy. And the dog can't help but come to me with it. It's got it in its mouth and it's real proud of it. And I take it from the dog and I say, you're so good, I give it right back to him. I do. <laughs> 
Because I don't want dogs to start thinking that when I bring it back to him, he takes it away. Who, what fun is that? Why would a retriever that loves to carry stuff want to dump it off all the time? So what I do is I get these little puppies to bring that stuff to me. I share it back and forth a couple times. I tell them how good they are. Then I pick it up. Spry, come here. Then I pick it up and then I look at my wife and I say, I'll put your shoes away for you. <laughs> like, I don't tell her to put them away. But my kids, I'll say, put your stuff away. Because that, you're not, you're not thinking about it, but it's creating a bad habit. And the bad habit of runaway, how many people here struggle to get their dogs to bring stuff back? They want to play chase. They want to play keep away. It's a terrible habit. It's a really hard thing to overcome. But if we start right from the beginning of changing that and instead forming it the way we want it, Retrieving becomes very easy. I use a process that we call hold conditioning. It's not force fetch, so we won't get into that that much today, but it's, it's the idea of a dog wanting to hold on to something until they bring it all the way back to me. That's where that starts. It's formal and I do it later on the road and every retriever I think needs it, but we start that out, that's where it starts, is those puppies picking stuff up for me. Balled up socks are a great way to do that because their little puppy teeth get stuck in the sock and they have a hard time spitting it out. And what do I want to avoid? I want to avoid one habit of a dog that picks stuff up and drops it, picks stuff up and drops it. Because when you pick up a cripple, it runs away. And then the chase starts again. So I want dogs to grab stuff and hold it until they bring it to me and you saw it with her. She comes to me and I say, hold, hold, dead. And then I get it from her. You can use whatever words you want, but it's a habit that the dog has to start early on to make my life easier down the road. Now, the antler positive. I really want this to be fun. Dogs don't love the antlers, that's not why they're hunting them, but they like the idea of when we connect retrieve and they get the praise for it, that's a light bulb for them and it clicks and they go, it's all I got to do is bring him those things. And when they're little, sometimes, you know, a lot of times pu puppies pick up everything. I'll walk down the street and they'll be bringing me soda bottles, you know. In the springtime you go down the road and there's, the ditches are full of pop bottles. Well, the thing about that is, is with those little dogs, that's fine. I'm not gonna make a big deal of it, but my big dogs don't pick all that stuff up. They don't pick it up and bring it back to me, and the reason is, is because there's not a lot of value in it for them. I don't get excited and praise them when they pick that kind of stuff up. But think about it, if there was a $100 bill in every one of those pop bottles, I'd be going to pick them up myself because they have value all of a sudden. So we gotta create value in the idea of what, the, what we want the dogs to find. So, we can start out by shape conditioning, something to equal fun. I think the scent part is important too. So this is a, actually a kit. So we put together a kit, there's a booklet that comes with this that I wrote, but, and I'm not a, I'm not, I, I'm not a real good writer. Now, I say that, I write for Gundog Magazine. I'm really proud of that. Like, I'm very honored to be a part of it. I've been doing it now for two years, and I used to write for a couple other magazines, but Gundog is like, if you're a Gundog guy, like, Gundog is really, it's a big, it's a, Big magazine. And so I'm very, I am really proud of it. But admittedly, it is like, I'm not that good at it. I'm really weak at writing. So it takes a lot of practice. I've, I've put a lot of like effort into trying to, to do better and get better at it. It takes me a terribly long time. I definitely don't get paid enough for the amount of hours that I put into it. But I'm like, you know what? I, it's an honor to do it. So anyway, I wrote a booklet, this is a long time ago, that goes with this. I talk a lot better, I speak a lot better, well, at least a lot more uh, than I write. And so vi we've done some videos. And we sell a, this is our shed training video. This is three and a half hours long. 
This is a lot of information about the process kind of start to finish. But shape is the important beginning. Because I want a dog to use its eyes and its nose, and I want it to be about equal. Because if the dog can't, if all we do is we're focused on nose work, as soon as the dog is not downwind of it, they're not going to be able to smell it. So I want them to be able to visually pick up on the idea of, ooh, there's one of those things. Now when they can't see it, which is the majority of the time when there's cover, I want a dog to have certain scent clues that tip it off to say, I should go look at that closer. So this scent, I've got different ingredients, I make this myself, I've got different ingredients in there that are scent clues to an antler. And an antler is a bone, but an antler also, a fresh, if you ever look, if you find fresh sheds, look at these. Look at, the, look at the pedicle. There's always hair right at the base. There's always this, it's a, they call it a wax ring, but it's this substance that is part of that fusion to the head. There's, I've found a lot of them that have this green, snot-like looking substance. And it, for us, like if I, I don't know that I would smell it, but if you want to know what an ant, how strong an ant, because a lot of people go, oh, the antlers don't have much scent. They've got a lot of scent. Take a Tupperware tub, take a bunch of fresh sheds, put it in a sealed Tupperware tub and put the lid on it, and then put it in your pickup truck in the sun and let it get hot. And then open that lid and take a whiff. It'll about knock you over. And the reason is, is because it's concentrated. Like there's a lot of older particles there and it hits you quick and you'll smell it. But I take a lot of those scent clues and I put it into this. Now, I'm gonna give you a secret. So one of the things that's a part of this that people just don't think about, because the idea of antler is, oh, it's an antler, it's a bone. Yes, it is, and bones have scent. And as bones get older, the scent changes. So like cadaver dogs, dogs that find dead bodies, They're, they'll find bodies that were buried years and years and years and years ago that smells different as it ages. And these dogs, it's like a tracking dog. That guy just left, he was a tracking guy. We were talking about it earlier. I said, when we were at our booth, I said, I mean, think about the dog's nose. If a deer ran through this room, it would take them not very long to get from there to there. Like we're talking less than a second. It's right now, a deer runs through. Let's say the deer got shot and he runs through the room. He can cover a lot of ground really quickly. The scent, right there versus the scent right there where he left the room smells different to the dog. One of them's older than the other. That scent is older than that scent. That's how a dog determines direction on scent. Like it can tell that that's older than that. So what does that mean? Well, he's going that way. That's how tracking dogs process. So can you imagine the ability to calculate that stuff that quickly in the instant that they're working? And then all of a sudden think about a deer that backtracks. That's older scent than that. But now all of a sudden, there's scent too that's fresher than that, but it's, they have, to pro, they have to sift through all of that stuff like in a split second in order to make the right decision. That's where they can get kind of tangled up and they can start to work, rework tracks and you just watch them. You just let them, just shut up and let them do their thing. They, the good ones didn't live. <laughs> The best tracking dogs, the old tracking dogs, were wolves and coyotes, and the bad ones died because they never caught the game. They never found the animal. The good ones are the ones that passed their genes on, the ones that could do that. That's evolution. So these dogs have incredible noses for centuries and centuries. 
when it comes to the idea of an antler, there are so many scent clues there. But one of the things that I've noticed is, and if, who, who in here are shed, who's shed hunters? I know you are. Who shed hunts? When you find some antlers, take a look at some of them. Start studying them. Don't just pick them up and throw them in the pile or put them in your room or whatever. Really look at them. The tips on them, the points, the very tip. You'll see these little pinholes. A lot of times that's from, it looks like something chewed on it. Coyotes. Looks like a puppy chewed on it. So when you go shed hunting and there's snow on the ground, watch some of the, before you pick them up, like here's the thing, everybody panics. We see a shed and we run after it. Like if we're shed hunting with the dogs, never do that. Always let them pick it up because it's another opportunity for them to find success on the real thing. But for whatever reason, we always want to, we see them, we get excited. It's not going anywhere. Like it's not going to run off. I think sometimes we think they're going to get away. They're not. So leave it there. But when you go and look at it, she's a DJ on the weekends, you know, she's, but so when you go and you look at that antler, a lot of times in the snow, there'll be urine. There'll be yellow snow, something peed on it. You know what peas on, especially in areas that are rich with them, coyotes, scent mark, everything they go past. Like if you're a trapper, you'll know the value of a urine post. You'll know the value of a visual marker in a, a relatively flat field. You put a rock or a bone or something that it acts as a backer, which is going to help channel the foot of the animal, but it also acts as this visual thing. Well, a big antler laying in the field is like a, that's like a, a backer for a trap. It gets the dog's attention. So the coyote goes over to it, lifts his, smells it, might chew on it a little bit, might pick it up and play with it. I've, one of my buddies found his biggest shed ever at the den of a coyote. Coyote couldn't get it in. And he dragged it right to the edge and he just couldn't get it in. Eventually that's where he found it. But you'll find they'll pee on them. So part of, part of what I want my dogs to do is when they smell coyote pee, I want them to go look. Because if it's in the cover, I want them to go take a peek at it. And if they take a peek at it and there's an antler there, I want them to go, oh, there's one of those things that looks like this. Pick it up, bring it back to dad. If they go over and there's nothing there, they smell it, they go, keep moving. This dog right here has got a, this dog's nose is real touchy. Some, some days it's on fire. She's just probably one of the best scenting dogs I've had. And then some days it's like, she really struggles. Her heat cycle really throws her off. She, she trains differently in her heat cycle. She smells differently in her heat cycle. So different dogs have different things. But one, I remember distinctly one day, we, we've got a, we lease a farm in Buffalo County and we were going down this water waterway and cut corn and all of a sudden that dog, in cut corn is, there's a lot of antlers in cut corn, in combined corn but they're just so hard to find. They'll make you go nuts looking for them. So that's where these dogs really shine. But when we're coming down this waterway on a cut corn field and she hit the brakes and she turned and it was like, I mean, I knew she was on one. It had to be the way, the way she reacted. And I, so I watched her, she worked and you could just see her get downwind and work her way, work her way, work her way, work her way, work her way. And all of a sudden she stopped and I'm just waiting for her to pick it up. And then she smelled and she turned and she just kept going. And so I, I got to go see what that was. I, it was something. And here it was. It was a tall corn stalk. The coyote peed on it. So in her training, she knew that I should probably take a look at that. And there's a lot of times that at the end of that, not, 
maybe not a lot high percentage wise, but enough that I want that dog to use that scent clue. That's one scent clue of about a dozen that are in that scent. They all have purpose. And so we get these dogs to start trusting that there are certain things that I should look at and sometimes the scent's not gonna be there. I know a lot of people worry about when they're training their shed dogs, they worry about their human scent. And I laugh at that because I go, guys, do you know how good this dog's nose is? Like, this, they, they've already shown, a dog can take a tablespoon of, you can take a tablespoon of sugar, you can put it into an Olympic-sized swimming pool. Were the Olympics, did, I didn't watch the Olympics, but did, was there swimming in the Olympics this year? So you know how, you've, if you watch the Olympics and you watch, you know how big those pools are. They're gigantic, like they're really big. 250 some thousand gallons of water. The, you could take a tablespoon, like a little tablespoon, put that sugar in that water and dilute it. You could have two pools next to each other. One has a tablespoon of sugar, one doesn't. You can walk the dog to the two pools of water and it'll tell you which one has sugar in it. That's how strong their noses are. A drug dog with a, you know what gasoline smells like, like what it'll do to your nose, it'll burn it. You can take a bag of dope, you can wrap it up and seal it, you can put it in a, ga in a tank, a gas tank of a vehicle, and you can drive past a drug dog, and the drug dog will alert. They can smell the dope inside of there through all that stuff. Now, the person that tells me, I gotta wear rubber gloves on my training dummies because I don't want the dog to cheat. I laugh at it and I go, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I can smell a rubber glove. Like, I know what that smells like. You're telling me that that's gonna fool the dog? I, I, I think people spend so much time overthinking everything they do with the dogs that we don't train nearly enough. You're not gonna be able to fool their noses, so don't try it. But think about it this way. If you, your scent will be on there, if you put scent on it, it's, let's say it's a, let's say there's, for number's sake, let's say there's 10 cents that equal shed antler to the dog. Any of those 10 cents means shed. Now, you add 10 more cents on top of it. Now you got 20 cents. Let's say you take away some of the 10 that don't smell like a shed and you take away some that do. Does the dog still say yes, it's a shed? Because you took three of those away but there's still seven that say yes. Here's, but here's the thing, I should explain this first. How does a dog smell? They don't smell like we do. Like earlier today, I smelled hamburgers being cooked. Like I could smell the charcoal. And I think I could smell that meat. Like it was a combination of the grilling, smelled like a grill. My dog smelled the beef, the wrapper that the beef came in, the salt and pepper that was sprinkled on it, the charcoal, the lighter fluid that was on the charcoal, the grease that was on the, from somebody cooking chicken last week on that grill. They smelled all of that and they smell it separately, unlike us. So my wife, if she makes vegetable soup, I smell vegetable soup. The dog smells peas, carrots, the water, all that stuff separate. So when you start talking about the antler stuff and training, yeah, my scent will be on it. But when I go out in the wild and I take my scent off, the same scent that was there in training is still there in the wild. And not all of it probably, but some of it. And that's the key for the dog to, to hone in from a scenting standpoint. So once we get dogs to start understanding that things that look like sheds should be retrieved, things that smell like sheds should be retrieved, now we start talking about, well, there's things like quartering and casting. Like, I need dogs to work within range. I do not, I think some people think that when I shed hunt, all I do is drink coffee and let the dog fill the back of the truck. 
It doesn't work that way. I'm really, I don't want to disappoint people, but I also think you had to have realistic expectations. Part of the reason I find more shed antlers with a dog is because they see and smell and they cover more ground and they get opportunities that I probably would miss. But the majority of the reason I find more shed antlers is because when I have a shed dog to go shed hunting with, if I didn't have a shed, like I shed hunted before I had dogs to shed hunt with. I had, always had dogs, but I didn't shed hunt with them. I never found a shed prior to, I found one prior to the year that I started with the dogs and it was lucky. I felt like I shed hunted a lot. I probably did it for four or five years. I was pretty young. I wasn't looking in the right spots. I mean, I just, I just didn't find any antlers. I got a dog and I started finding sheds and I think it was because Yes, I had a dog, but the real reason was is because when I shed hunted prior to that, I might have went three or four times a year for a couple hours. As soon as I started shed hunting with a dog, I went every weekend, I'd go from dark to dark every weekend. During the week, I would, in the evening, I would go. I'd get home early from work, I'd go. I'd get done with school, I'd go. I shed hunted so much more than I did without the dog. Well, if you do anything more often, you'll get better at it. I started to, I found a couple sheds in spots where I never thought I'd find a shed and I realized there's a reason these sheds are here. So what did I do? I started looking in the right spots. And all of a sudden I start looking in the right spots and I start looking more often. And the reason I'm doing it is because it's way more fun for me to take my dog. So I'm not, again, I want people to understand the realism here. These are not robots. If you do something more often and you get better at it, you'll find more success. That's part of the reason why we, the other reason, I got asked to go to a lot better places. I mean, the best duck dogs duck hunt quite a bit. The guy with the best duck dogs gets invited to the best duck holes. The guy with a bad duck dog never gets invited. Why would you want them to come? So soon as the word gets out that, man, you got a really good dog, well, guess I got a really good spot. You should come. Okay. And all of a sudden you're giving your dog more opportunities. It takes opportunities for these dogs to figure it out and have it click. I can train all I want, but it's no different than tracking dogs. If we train, 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 and we never take them on tracks, and then the one time a year we really need them, they look bad, they look rusty, they don't put it together, I say, hey, it's experience that makes them very good. And so think about, a lot of people can think of and relate to pheasant dogs or, or you know, upland dogs, because it's so many people, who, who pheasant hunts or upland hunts? So just the two of you, you guys don't? So it takes a lot of birds to make good bird dog. That's, everybody knows that. The thing, the thing that's different about that in a shed dog is, I can join a pheasant farm and I could put 100 pheasants out every day if I wanted to. I mean, if I could afford it. I could, put, I could put a lot of birds out. I could go on a lot of little corporate shoots and I could flush a whole bunch of birds in a season for these dogs. I, hell, I can go to South Dakota or North Dakota. Some Iowa's getting a little bit better, but there are places that I can go and hunt without game farms and have fair chase stuff and I can get into a slough and I can flush a lot of birds and give a dog a lot of experience very quickly. So they develop, now that first season might be rough, but by the time we're done, they might have seen a thousand birds. It's a lot of opportunity. It's a lot of experience. How many of you guys found a thousand sheds last year? 
I want to go where you're going. I got really good dogs. <laughs> you should invite me. Uh, I don't know people, I know a lot of people that, my goal way back in the day was 100 sheds a year. I, I did it once, maybe twice. But, and I used to shed hunt a lot. I really wanted to hit that 100 mark. I don't, when I was younger, like different things meant things to me and I really was into numbers and I wanted to hit 100. And I did it once, I think. I got close the second time. But, who, has anyone in here found 100 sheds in a season? You have. Spends how much time shed hunting? Lots, and he goes out west specially to shed hunt. So, not very many people in a seminar will raise their hand when I ask that question. And so, I look at it and I go, well these dogs need every opportunity just like that pheasant dog to put the pieces together. And some people won't have, an op won't have 100 opportunities in the dog's lifetime, and that's okay. It's just harder, and it makes you have to understand your expectations have to be realistic. So that's, the, that's why I say when you find one, don't run over and pick it up. Because that might be, I talked to a, a, a girl that, she was, I think she was in Missouri, we, did a pod, we do a podcast. And so I surprised this girl with a training Zoom call. It was a few months ago when, we, we, uh, it might have been a little longer than that. But people, we were trying to do stuff to help people train at home. Because everyone was at home and everyone had a dog and it was a great opportunity for people to train. And there was, a, I got flooded with, Lots of questions. So we surprise, and I don't have the ability to do like online training. And a lot of people were asking for it. And so we said, well, it'd be kind of fun. Let's surprise a couple people. So we, we did some giveaway stuff and then we, get, we, we picked some winners and we surprised them. But we did a Zoom, 45 minute Zoom consultation. It ended up being about an hour and a half because I jab her. But so we did this talk with her and she's talking about how disappointed she was this shed season. And they had found, I think, 14 sheds or something with the dog. It was its first year and of the 14 that they found I think the dog picked up four and she was real kind of bummed out about it and I I said well I have news for you like think about that again and realize that most of the people that are listening to that podcast won't find 14 sheds in their life much less in a season and their dog won't pick up four out of the 14. I said that's a pretty high percentage like it's 30 some percent. I said boy that's a lot when you think about it that way. And then she said, well, yeah, but you know, there's only four sheds. I said, yeah, and then the, her friend had a kid that did karate. So we started talking about that and I said, well, what, what does that karate kid do? And she's like, well, you know, broke a board the other day and that was a really big accomplishment. Kid broke a little board. And the kid's pretty young and so I said, wow. What, how did you react when the kid broke the board? Were you kind of disappointed that it was just a little board? <laughs> and she's like, no, we were really excited and we made her think she was a superstar. And I'm like, really? It was just a young kid, huh? And you were trying to build its confidence up, right? She's like, yeah. And I said, really? Because that dog is how old? And it was like 11 months old, maybe younger when it was hunting. I said, boy, it's kind of like a young kid that found four antlers for you and you're disappointed. And she, you could just see it hit her and she's just like, she felt really bad. And I said, it's all about perspective. Like, fuck, I'd be really happy if my young dog did that its first season. So all of a sudden she recognized and realized, boy, I, you know, maybe he's right. That probably was a pretty good season. And by the end of the conversation, she was all excited about training again because, and nothing was different except how she was thinking about it. So I think it's important. We got to keep, we have to keep that in mind. These little dogs take time to develop. Five, five years old, six years old, eight years old, Works in progress, never done. 
I don't believe in a finished dog. I don't think there's such thing. Because we'll never tap into or maximize what they're capable of. So from a shed hunting standpoint, I, I, I want to keep things simple and do shape first. I think it's real easy. I think we add scent second. Like I, I'll take this dummy and we'll get the dogs just picking it up and understanding this is a really good thing. This floats. So I, like this time of year, it's tough to work. August is gonna be a terrible month. We're gonna do a lot of conditioning because we'll be getting into some hunting stuff in September. So water work is my key. I take the dogs to the lake anytime I can. I kind of enjoy it as well, but they get a lot of great work. It's the best way. I've talked with a guy today at the booth that has a dog that's got a bad shoulder. So I just, you know, how do I get the dog in shape? I can't even run the dog. It's swimming, 100% swimming. What do, what do we do as humans when we have to rehab? And it's, it's something that can't have a lot of impact. We put them in the water. So we swim. So I'm using this and retrievers love, most of retrievers love the water. So when I start throwing this in the water, Again, I'm connecting a really positive thing. Now, this is a real positive thing. It's real positive when it's got food on it. But this is a real positive thing for most dogs. This, and so look at the dog. There are certain things that turn this dog on. Pick up a tennis ball, you'll see the tail wag. This one barely opens her eyes, that one, ah, she's perked up. But, so I'll take these tennis balls, especially a newer one. This one's getting a little bit matted down. But I like to take the liquid scent and put it right on that tennis ball and it almost sucks it in and sponge-like holds it. And then I can take that and I can roll it. And I can roll it across the grass into cover. And then I can send a dog on it and the dog will have to track it and use its nose. And then it gets into the cover and then it finds it and then it's Real happy because it's got a tennis ball. But what did it smell like? It smelled like an antler. The, the idea of training is not to always give them tests. So like, I think a lot of people want to train shed dogs. So what do they do is they go hide a bunch of sheds and then they take the dog out and see if the dog will find them. Well, that's the test. That's like a final exam. You guys are in school, aren't you? Not right now, but like you go to school, right? You're not a truant, are you? No, you go to school, right? What grade are you in? Fourth grade, what grade are you in? Going into fourth, okay. Are you in school? What are you in? Gonna be a junior. So, might be, I'll, I'll pick both your brains. All three of you. So, gonna be a junior, where do you go to school? Yeah. Rosendale, slow down. <laughs> I've been there, big fella. I've been there. Uh, so, you, if you went to school every day, you've been, you've been at it a few years now. If you went to school every day and your teacher gave you a test every day or a big exam every day, how would you feel about going to school? Not, not that excited? Me either. Like, I can't even believe you thought about it. <laughs> I know what my answer would have been. So, but. I do think that you have to test at some point. You gotta figure out if it's sticking. You gotta figure out if the stuff is working that you're trying to teach these kids. So, true or not true, when you start a new class in the beginning of the semester, you kinda get a little bit of an understanding of what you might be gonna do in over the next couple weeks or months or whatever. You start to learn some of the basic stuff. Then she might add a little bit more, add a little bit more, and then maybe a week or two into it, let's do a quiz. We'll take a quiz, right? And then you get an idea of, hey, are you getting it or not? And then you might take another 
fun lesson, a few good things, you know, help. Uh, there are teachers that I know that inspire, I, I wasn't a very good student, but there was some that I like looked forward to going to class. One guy was named Mr. Katsimbal. He was really, uh, I failed his class. He told me I was the best student he ever failed. It was this, my senior year and I just didn't go very often. But when I did go, and I'm not encouraging that, but when I did go, he had a lot of fun stuff. Like he, it was science and he made, he did some pretty cool stuff. And he was a hunter, and so we talked, we, we talked about fun stuff in class. And if I hadn't been a senior, I probably would have went and done well in that class. And, but it was like the tests came maybe three in the semester, and then the final. But there were a, lot, a few quizzes more than that, and then there was a lot of lessons. So I look at it and I go, with these dogs, if all we do is throw final exams at them and tests, they'll become a little bit turned off by the idea of training. And so instead, I take that, oh, I rolled it out there already. I take that fun, kind of fun little day in class where we do kind of an experiment and I sent up the tennis ball and I let the dog go hunt. I'll take that food and I'll mow a circle in my lawn and I'll leave the grass a little bit taller. And I might take that bowl of food and spread it out in that grass and say, go eat. And they got to go in there and they go, oh, their tail just goes and their noses are going. And every time they find another kernel, they go, oh, this is so good. And I'm in the back going, good, find it, good, find it, 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 find it. See what her nose is doing right now? Can you, you can see her nose? It's going like this. Pretty soon, you, now watch how shiny it's getting. Do you see, if you can't see it, look right now, because she just licked it because it's starting to drip. What's happening is, is in order for a dog to process scent, they need moisture. They need to get those nostrils wet. So when I say, find it, 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 she can't help it because when I sprinkled the food in the circle and told her, find it, find it, find it, guess what happened to her? She had to use her nose to get the reward and the reward was that kibble. So today, she heard it so many times, she had no idea what it, that it meant, I'm going to find food at the time. But we did it enough consistently where all of a sudden she started to hear that and she goes, i got to use my nose. Because something good will happen if I use my nose. So now she hears it and the nose gets working and she starts to get wet and she goes, I'm smelling for something. That's a hunt command. So whenever a dog gets in an area where I want them to pick something up and I know it's there, I say, Find it, find it, find it, find it, find it, find it. And that dog holds the area. And as soon as they leave the area, I'm quiet. I don't say anything. And they go, must not be here. So they start to work and all of a sudden they hear me go, find it, find it. And they go, Whoop, right here. You ever play hot, that hot cold game? Getting warmer, getting warmer, you're on fire. That's, that's what it's like for the dog. They hear it when they're in the right area. They don't hear anything when they're not. So I can start, that's a lesson, but that's also something that transfers when I'm hunting. Because now all of a sudden I get a dog in an area that I see an antler, and I'm not gonna go pick it up, I'm gonna let them find it. Because there's, I've never touched it, it's a wild antler, it's playing there. So I'm gonna get them to hold the area. Find it, find it, find it. So we're transitioning all these little training things that our dogs have learned, and starting to put it in to the real thing. Spray. So I like her patience. I like her willingness to sit there quietly. I like her willingness to even hear me say, find it, find it, find it, and resist the temptation to run. 
But boy, she was really smelling for it. Good, sit. Dead. Dead, good, sit. So, the idea is develop all these little pieces real small. I look at training dogs a lot like a, a chain, like a really long chain, never ending chain. But everything that we do is linked together. And if you're missing links, the chain isn't very valuable. Like, it, you have to have them all. So when we find these holes in our training, they're missing links, we have to be able to recognize it, assess it, and then go back and fill them in. And so that's where this comes in. This is like, this is a really good roadmap of the beginning, the middle, to where we actually take the dog hunting. And, but that's, and that's good, and, and that's, I'm proud of that video. I've, we, we put a lot into it. It was real formal. Um, like we talked about when we first started, this is not gonna be very formal. This, I don't do a lot of, not very formal. But our YouTube channel is really valuable too because our YouTube channel has a lot more information. But the problem with it is, is you gotta sift through it. Like, and I, I'm, I'm really happy, like I'm really glad about it. We, ben has helped me a lot in putting a lot of effort into trying to build that YouTube channel up with content. And what's really, I'm, makes me feel really good is I'll get a lot of messages from people that like talk about, I'm binge watching your YouTube channel right now. And I think it's funny because I don't watch TV. I, I used to watch a lot of it. I haven't watched TV in years. And, but my wife will binge watch series of stuff. Like she'll walk around with her phone and watch it. Like she can't put it down. And when people say that, I go, man, it's so cool. So a lot of the people that'll be here that we'll see over the next couple days will be because of YouTube. Has anybody ever seen, watched watch our YouTube channel? You've seen it? I was gonna say, you are an animal. Fourth grade, watching it. You've seen it. I've seen a lot. So it's a, you've seen a lot? I've seen a lot. Yeah, there's a lot there. And, but I think what, what if anything, if you take anything, and I'm gonna, I'm, we're gonna have some time for questions, because that's one thing I never do is I never, I usually just ramble on and then we don't, we don't do any questions. But one thing I think to take away from this, or if you, we're talking at the booth, or if any of that, I think is the idea of, it's a, pro, it's a process. Like training these dogs is a process. And it's a lot like, I don't look at it as hurry up to get to the end. Because, the trip is sometimes better than the destination. Like I get more fun out of training these, I get more fun out of opportunity, like when they have problems, those are really good opportunities to get better, me and them. And so I really think that we have to look at this whole training thing that way and take a lot of, you guys are training your own dogs. So you don't have a lot of pressure. I train dogs for clients and in the old days I used to feel a little bit of pressure. Um, I still feel some, but with the idea of like, making sure I get them back to them soon and make sure that they're at a certain level and all this. And I'm, I've become really comfortable over the years with the idea of, you know what, I'll get there when I get there. And so will the dog and, and it's made me enjoy it a lot more. So I think that the beauty of it for you guys is by training your own dog, if it takes however long, so what? I think the problem is, is we get frustrated because things don't go as quickly as we want and we press a little bit harder and all these things. And we really get in the way a lot as trainers. We get in the way of what these dogs are capable of doing and I think by taking a step back from it and going, 
sometimes the, the, the best way to speed things up is to slow them down. And then I think when you start ad adopting that, that idea, I think you should put it into everything else in life too, not just dog training. Because we really rush. We're in a big rush or, you know, these days. And, and I've gotten, I, I have a construction background. So if you didn't rush, you got fired. Like that was like your lifestyle. And this isn't construction. I get that. I get productivity. But this isn't that. And I don't, I could, we could, I could pick your brain on everybody here and what you do for a living. And some way, somehow, it's probably connected to, oh, we gotta, we gotta get it done in a certain time and this and that. This part doesn't apply. And it's really refreshing when you don't worry about that stuff anymore. So I encourage you to, to start thinking along those lines. Um, does anybody have any questions? Yeah. So if you start on a pup, yeah. like you said, bird hunted these yep. and shed hunted. Yep. So would a pup use train for both at the same time or? That's a great question. So the foundation remains the same, regardless of what we're training for in the end, for the field. So yes, I don't take much of a different approach. What does dictate some differences is the calendar, not necessarily based on time, but based on seasons. So like if I'm gonna, you know, Ellie's a good example. Ellie, I do upland, we do gun dog work, she shed hunts, she doesn't track. Taylor does everything. But I don't track with her. And so if I if she were younger right now, so we're going into the fall. So if she was around maybe a year old right now, I probably would have worked on the same, very similar stuff, whether she was gonna track this fall or not, or she was gonna be a bird dog this fall or not. I probably am spending most of my time on the same foundational stuff. He'll sit, stay, and come when I call you. Like that's the other part of our video series is we did a puppy video and we did a foundation video. And I don't care what direction you're going with your dog in the end, those two are mandatory. You gotta be able to do everything in those to be able to do it down here. So the, pretty much the same stuff. But if the dog's a year old, for me personally, that's probably a little early, unless they're a really, really exception to the rule. My dogs probably aren't bird hunting that early. I just don't think they're ready. They haven't had a chance to see enough. They haven't had a chance to get far enough along to be prepared for what they're probably gonna see in the blind. And I can't control what happens in the field when we're hunting. So I can control the training part the best I can. So if she's a gun dog, I'm, not, I'm probably not gonna gun dog, I'm not gonna do bird stuff with her that fall. Tracking though, I probably would. Because, but what I would do is I'd do it very calculated. I'd put her on opportunities to find dead deer. Not wounded deer, not maybe dead deer. It would be dead deer. So I'd have a group, I'd have a message out to all of my buddies that hunt. Hey, if you shoot a deer, you shoot a doe or whatever, early season, and you know it's dead, you hit it really well, if you do me a favor, I'd like to put the dog on and let the dog find it. Those are great opportunities that I, they're better than what I can replicate in training. And so what I would do leading up to that is, I would have spent like August, maybe a little of July, maybe a six to eight week window of, we're gonna focus a little more on preparing for that September bow season. And I'd put her on some tracks in September. But, so yeah, that would drive me to that because it's this time of year. Now if it were December or January and the dog was a year old, 
I'd say, you know what? Shed season is about two or three months away. The foundation has to be there. But in order for the foundation to be there, so this is a drill that I do to teach dogs to start picking up antlers off the ground. Heel. So you saw how I lined the dog for food. You saw how I lined the dog for the retrieve. Heel. So what a dog will quickly find out is, and it's real easy for him, when you throw something for a dog, it's predator prey. It's just chase it down, go get it, bring it back. Heel. What's not natural for a dog is steadiness. This goes back to a nice little gun dog. I like dogs that are quiet, calm, and steady in the blind if I'm, if I'm hunting with them. This is a drill I do with gun dogs. We, we, I rarely throw marks for my dogs. I don't throw many marks. My dogs are not very good markers. That's why. I need to work probably more on it. But I work on a lot of memories. This is called a memory. So I just drop the dummy, bring her back, spray, and I send her on the retrieve. Now what's different between that and the last one that I did is what? This one I didn't throw, right? So, sit down. It created a dog that's real, real patient and steady. Like she wasn't jumping when I dropped that dummy. She, but what did I have to do to set that up? I had to heal her out. I had to pitch it without her breaking. I had to heal her back. I had to have her sit quiet and calm in line. And then I had to be able to send her on her name and then I had to have her be able to come back. There's a lot of little steps there for that drill. And without the foundation, heal, sit, stay, and come when I call you, I couldn't have done any of that. Right. Well, you know what the value of that little drill is for me, above and beyond a lot of other things? The idea of a dog, shed, antler do shed dogs don't pick up antlers that are thrown. They're never gonna, I mean, I saw it once on YouTube, but you're never gonna see a deer run through the woods and shed its antler. It just doesn't happen. But what they do is they pick them up off the ground. So they gotta go find them and they gotta bring them back. I get a lot of people that say, my dog will find them always in training, but he won't find them when they're laying in the field when we go shed hunting. And they think it's because of the scent. It's because my human scent's not on it. I said, no, it's not because of that. It's because how do you train? What do you, what, well, I throw them for them. They go, there's, I can throw it into the thickest, deepest, darkest cover and they'll always go get it and bring it back. I said, sure. Because you threw it for them and they're good markers and they run to the spot and they bring it back. But you're never having them pick it up off the ground. So that drill right there, I can heal the dog back and I can wait three minutes and send the dog back. And the dog's memory is, the dog has short-term memory and long-term memory. And I need to develop both. But the short-term memory is like timing and training. If you don't correct a dog or praise a dog within a split second of them doing it, they don't understand why you're correcting or praising. So if, if she jumped off the bed, ran over to me, and then I said, no, 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 get up, she's going to think I said no, 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 no to her coming to me. Not because she jumped off the bed. If she jumps off the bed and I say, ah, 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 the second she's stepping to it, she's going to go, whoops, don't come off the bed. That's timing. This timing got so long that by the time we got back here, it was long enough where she went, I got to run out and pick something up off the ground, not something that was thrown. So my value out of that was teach dogs to pick stuff up off the ground, not thrown. But I couldn't do that drill without the foundation. So regardless of what we're training for, the foundation has got to be there first. And then we just look at the calendar and we go, well, it'd work really well to start working into this or working into that and prepare. So I, there is no like black and white answer, it's got to be pretty fluid.